It's the end of the world as we know it, and I feel fine. That crazy starts with an earthquake, birds, snakes, and aeroplanes. Many fruits are not afraid. I have a freaking listen to yourself, the world with its own needs. Something to your own head, beat it up, and I've seen got no seats. The ladder puts the platter with the fear fight down. Like fire in a fire, the fire, of the gangs, the government for hire in the combat site. But you wasn't coming in a hurry, the jury's beating down your neck. Welcome to the Doom and Bloom Hour with medical preparedness experts, Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. Your source for information on how to succeed if everything else fails. And now, your hosts, Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. dark heart of the city, a mysterious figure known as Dr. Bones. That's right, the most mysterious man in the world, the most interesting mm-hmm. man in the world. No, that's that Mexican guy for Dos Equis beer, right? Dos Equis. Dos Equis. <laughs> Why don't they just say double X? Well, anyhow, this is the hour of doom. And Bloom. That's right, friends and neighbors. Welcome to the Doom and Bloom Survival Medicine Hour, a cacophonous carousel of congeniality in a crazy world. I'm Joe Alden, MD, also known as Dr. Bones of doomandbloom.net, where you'll find over a thousand posts, videos, and podcasts on medical preparedness for any disaster. And I'm Amy Alton. I'm an advanced registered nurse practitioner and a certified nurse midwife. That's right. And together we are the gang of two. We are the dynamic duo, the medical matrimony <laughs> and all sorts of other interesting descriptions, most <laughs> most of which are, ex, are, are positive. G-rated and positive. positive. Yes, right? that's right. And we are here to help you keep it together out there, even if everything else falls apart. Friends and neighbors, have you been injured in an accident with a gigantic giraffe? Well, our attorney says, don't call me. Call Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy and listen to this. All information given and opinions voiced on Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy's Survival Medicine Hour are for entertainment purposes only and do not represent medical advice for anything other than post-apocalyptic settings. No contract nor provider-patient relationship exists nor is implied between the hosts and listeners. Dr. Bones and our Amy strongly urge their audience to seek modern and standard medical care whenever and wherever it is available. And don't forget, lost ways and lost ways number two are scams. Oh my gosh. Oh, well, tell me about that. Well, in some of the search engines... When you put in doom and bloom, a hashtag or black star will show up that says doom and bloom, and it leads you falsely to a video advertisement for a, quote, book called Lost Ways or Lost Ways with the number two, and does not take you to our website. And they're also using things like Dual Survivor, uh, Dave Canterbury, 
all kinds of words that people in our industry may search for to look for things. And so they place their results in the midst of some real real results. And wow. so you end up clicking on it thinking you're going to Doom and Bloom or to or to Dual Survivor or Dave Canterbury or a host of other keywords and you end up with a video popping up in front of you that's trying to sell you um, supposedly a book. Wow. So they are trying to scam the preparedness and uh, survival world with duping them into click. I, I guess you call it clickbait. Clickbait. Click wow. So uh, I do not again? approve well, okay. of I, that form of marketing and uh, fake salesmanship. And I don't either. What's the name again? Lost Ways. Lost Ways. Don't okay. click on anything that says Lost Ways, folks. Wow. Well, that is something. Well, of course, you want the latest, most modern technology to be your ally in the battle against disease and trauma. But what if that isn't an option due to some major disaster? How about if the light bulbs don't even work? Never mind the hospital respirators. Well, you know what? You might just end up being the highest medical asset left to your family in an emergency. That sounds like a daunting challenge, doesn't it? Well, it does not have to be. All you have to do is show the world you got more sense than a bag of gravel and get some training, get some knowledge, learn something. And while you're at it, how about some supplies and a quality medical kit to go along with all that knowledge? I can't think of a better place to get it than Nurse Amy's entire line of often imitated, never equaled medical kits at store.doomandbloom.net. And, and a store that doesn't use fake clickbait. <laughs> That's for right. It, for yeah. anything ever. That's right. There you go. We're we are real. Legit and down right down the middle. That you know what? The stuff that we have is gonna help you deal with medical issues that you'd face in any disaster. It could make your workplace, your home, your school, your church safer, and they're designed indeed by a real life medical doctor and an advanced registered nurse practitioner. I want you to compare our kits, look at <laughs> other kits, right. and compare our kits for contents, quality, gosh, cost with anybody else's stuff. And I think you'll agree our kits are the ones that you should have in your medical storage. But don't take our word for it. Check out our testimonial page. Testimonials. Testimonial page. Is that a new page I don't know that, about? <laughs> I, that is a another tongue twister yes. testimonials check out our <laughs> testimonials page at store.doomandbloom.net see what folks just like you have to say about our medical kits and service and on top of that you know our kits are approved for your health or flexible savings account just let us know you need the paper oh wait don't you have some special thing for that Mom? i do i do what i did at the suggestion of a very nice person who wanted to use their fsa account flexible savings account to purchase some first aid kits is I made a category that says FS, FSA and HSA eligible first aid kits. And I didn't make new first aid kits. I changed the names of my current kits because words like trauma and survival and some of the other descriptive things that I've used for my bags to In distinguish the past, them. Yeah. And those still exist, folks, by the way. Um, I change them to be very plain names. So, first aid medium kit, first aid car grab and go kit. So that these 
folks who are administering the FSA and HSA accounts will understand that what you've purchased is a first aid kit. And it indeed so, is eligible to be of used course, under your Of accounts. course it is. Sure. So basically what they wanted from these accounts is that the name of the kit say first aid kit. It is a first aid kit. I only make first aid kits. Some of them have a little more equipment. Some of them are a little more geared towards uh, a first aid emergency, which happens to be bleeding, which go. is part of trauma. So sure. that's why some of the kits had the word trauma in them, because they did help with um, severe bleeding wounds. Right. Sure. But they are now simplified under that category. Those kits match the same exact kits, which are still under the grab and go category. They're the same kits, just different names so that there's no confusion when you're turning in your receipt. If you still need another receipt, again, I'm happy to do that for anyone. Uh, I'll send you a second receipt that will be even cleaner, (laughs) even more simplified if that's possible. So not a problem. I'm always happy to help. And I have never, ever had a single customer who used their savings account credit card or who turned in a receipt that has not gotten fully reimbursed or or not had a problem with everything going through just fine. They're just not any issues. Everything will be fine. Well, that's awesome. Yay. Well, good for you. <laughs> I think that is a, a terrific benefit to people, especially... If, it makes it easier. Yep, it does make it easier. Now, and one thing I want to make sure that is easy also is for you out there to be able to contact us and so here's Nurse Amy to tell you how you can do that. Of course, you can email us anytime at dr, that's for doctor, dr, bones, that's plural, podcast, which is what you guys are listening to, p-o-d-c-a-s-t. So it's d-r-b-o-n-e-s-p-o-d-c-a-s-t at aol.com. And I know AOL's at old-fashioned yes now it's, now but you, guess what i know how to you know use how it old we are yes, i know how to there, use it there you could also find us on facebook at our group survival medicine dr bones nurse amy also we have a page do called doom and bloom and that's uh, you can follow us on either of those uh, you can uh, follow us on twitter at prepper show that's our handle at prepper show and don't forget our youtube channel at dr bones nurse amy and our other podcasts all about current events American Survival Radio broadcasts from a number of land-based radio stations throughout the U.S. of A. Hey, I want to talk just a a second about our new book. We're very excited about it, and we're very happy to uh, be able to announce that it is now out, and you can find it on Amazon and also at our store at store.doomandbloom.net. And it it is a, it's called Alton's Antibiotics and Infectious Disease, the Layman's Guide to Available Antibacterials in austere settings. And it is a detailed look at the infectious diseases that can occur in survival settings and the antibiotics that you can get online for your medical storage that can cure these things and, or prevent them. Now, it's it's a book that's a little shorter than our, our survival medicine handbook. That's about 700 pages. This one's about 300 pages. It only concentrates on the antibiotics available to the average person, the fish and bird antibiotics that we have been talking about that you can get large quantities of if you wanted to without a prescription. It gives you 
Good Basics goes into a lot more detail on the topic of infectious disease than any of our other books and, of course, the drugs to treat them. And I would have to say that the book really concentrates on the infections that you can deal with simply, but ones that could actually cause a great number of deaths, things from infections that occur from poorly prepared food, contaminated water, and all the things that could happen if society is taken to the brink in a true disaster. So the important thing to know is that this is not a book on viruses mostly, because remember, antibiotics don't do a thing to treat viruses, but it has a lot of information there. I can tell you that our book is pretty unique. There's not many people that have our experience or are willing to write about these things that are in the medical field. And we are happy to do it, however, because we really believe honestly in our hearts that we can save lives. With uh, You're not going to find experts talking about this stuff other than ourselves, but... and. And I'll admit that it's controversial, you know, in conventional medical circles. And it isn't the cheapest book you'll ever find. But you know what? Search Amazon for infectious disease books. It'll be more more inexpensive or less expensive than just about any print book on antibiotics and infectious disease you'll find there. And we discuss so much stuff, how antibiotics cause disease, how the immune system works to fight infection, all the different uh, disease-causing organisms I think would be Uh, issues in times of trouble and and that are issues now in many places tell how to tell bacterial versus viral diseases epidemic diseases pandemic diseases antibiotics how antibiotics work the work the different antibiotics families resistance that's occurring with antibiotics these days and therefore how to use antibiotics wisely specifics like dosing side effects allergies pregnancy and pediatric considerations expiration dates how to establish a good sick room for infectious disease issues how to deal with wound infections, wound care, uh, the types of supplies that you should have if you're going to be effective as a medic, gosh, so much more. It is, I think, a book that really is unique. You're not going to find it anywhere else, and it is perfect for the preparedness community. And I think one of the most important points of this book is that we wrote it based on what you can accumulate. There's a huge list of prescription medicines that would be great to have, you know, that everyone would love to have in their storage, but most of them are unattainable. Right. This is a practical book. This is based on at the time of when we turned the manuscript in of what you could accumulate. And we actually removed tetracycline towards the end of the writing of the book because it was no longer available. Right, it was, with, dis- was withdrawn. Yeah. Discontinued on a lot of the websites that we had looked for um, fish antibiotic and bird antibiotic availability and really started noticing that that was not, not, not available. Yeah, yep. not, out yep. of stock and some of the words no. was discontinued. Which or, is okay because it wasn't one of the top 10 no, antibiotics that, it, I, that we recommend. Exactly. But the main point is, is that we really wanted something useful. It's great to have a PDR, but if you don't have 99.9% of the prescription medicines that are in the PDR, it's not terribly helpful. So we wanted a practical book, a useful book. When you open the book and you see what we talk about, you can turn around and get on your computer and actually get the medicines that we're talking about. And we talk about how to store them, 
We talk about expiration dates. Right, right. All that stuff. Again, and, and when we talk about the infectious diseases, for the most part, occasionally we mention a thing or two uh, that you don't have a medicine for, but we talk specifically about the things that you will be able to treat with the medicines that you will be able to purchase. And how to care for people with infectious diseases until they are recovered. And that, I think, is really important. Now, remember, I wanted to say... It's a companion say, book right. to the Our, Survival Medicine Handbook. That's right. Those two should should just kind of be glued together. <laughs> that's <laughs> you right. You could glue the, the front... Then they would be a thousand-page book. That's all we need. Right. right. <laughs> glue the front of the Infectious Disease book. I will say, I do like the cover. It's really bright and pretty. We had oh. a very good graphic mm. designer. Yes, we did. It's she took good. our ideas and put them into life. It's a good-looking book, but it's, it's even better on the inside than it is on the but outside. But you know, if you're going to judge a book by a cover, I like this cover. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to say... So glue remember, those two books together. <laughs> remember the information in Alton's Antibiotics and Infectious Disease is meant for situations where there isn't a functioning modern medical yes, system. Right. If there is... Get to a certified medical professional. Clearly, we are ASAP. not. We are not trying to replace the emergency room. We're not trying to replace your doctor visit. We're not trying to replace a phone call to a doctor if or a pharmacy. We just want to be sure that you know what to do if those things no longer exist. Exactly. There you go. We're right. not here to replace your healthcare system. Speaking of things that no longer exist, with sadness, I would have to say that. President George H.W. Oh, Bush does no no longer exist so on this on this earth. Oh my goodness! And hopefully he is in a much better place. And I just want to say that upon his passing, that we should always remember and honor his military service in World War II as the Navy pilot, the youngest one actually in his theater, and uh, having flown about fifty eight missions, Lieutenant Bush. He was a lieutenant. He was often often under enemy fire. And on September 2nd, 1944, his plane was shot down off an island called Chichijima, and he was the only survivor of that crash. He swam about 50 yards to a small life raft, and he fought the currents that would have caused him to make landfall on the island that he had just attacked, where he had heard, or well, where it was heard afterwards, I think, that starving enemy soldiers were making meals of downed pilots. Luckily, a U.S. plane had spotted him, and he was rescued by a submarine several hours later. However, most cases of survival at sea are not as fortunate. I wanted to talk about that today, something I rarely talk about, but there's a lot of information in there that would help you in a situation like that. It's important to have an idea of what to do if you find yourself in open water without a rapid rescue. And you know what? Your survival is going to depend on your ability to do a few things, to stay hydrated, to obtain nourishment, and be protected against the exposure to wind and temperature extremes. Now, Lieutenant Bush bailed out of an airplane, but most people that end up in the ocean are victim of victims of boating accidents or issues relating to maybe getting off a boat or jumping off a boat or going overboard. And before boarding any vessel, and before you get onto any boat, you should always have a good idea of what supplies and equipment exist for use in an emergency. I mean, your ability to access and use what's available could determine whether you live or die in situations like this. Now, our young future president filed a flight plan with the carrier San Jacinto that faithful September, and they knew exactly where he was going. He actually was part of a, a attack group. Uh, and 
So it was clear when he was going and it was clear when he was coming back. But anyone planning an ocean voyage should file something similar. I call it a float plan, a float plan. That means that you're letting the marina and others know or have an idea of where you're going and when you're going to be due back. And if people know when you're due back, if you don't show up, well, you know what, that will start a search and rescue effort and will prevent delays in getting that going as long as you have a float plan. Now, the sooner people start looking for you, gosh, you know, it's just makes sense, the better your chances for survival, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> That's right. Let's say that you are in the water with a flotation device. And rough seas, of course, you should always wear a life jacket. Honestly, you should wear a life jacket in calm seas also. You never know what would happen. And or when your brother's driving a boat. Oh yeah, my brother is. My brother was like George W. H. W. Bush in that he drove a boat as fast as he possibly can, and you know you have to six foot waves. Hold on for your life. We were banging Bang into the water. Until I thought the boat was gonna crash. He, but he was just like they say George H. W. Bush liked to run his boat quickly. He had, had Vladimir Putin in there holding on for his life right. one time. But the, the, the KGB was probably like, we have to take this man out. He's going to kill our leader. Well, it had got me thinking that, oh, my gosh, I may wind up in the drink here if uh, if, if he hits one especially big wave. And it wasn't a boat. We had just rented it. So yes. we didn't know how safe this boat was or right. how old it was or well, any damage it had had before. Yeah, it looked darn old to me. Yeah, this was not a big boat, guys. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> So anyhow, always wear a life jacket. Uh, many of those life jackets will have a whistle attached to it. If not, attach the whistle to it. That's important so that if an individual is thrown overboard, they can make noise and give you an idea of where they are in that big blue ocean. I mean, in a flotation device is also important to have, like a life preserver on the boat so that you could throw it with a good length of rope too, so you can throw it to anybody that's thrown overboard uh, or you can send a crew member with uh, one of these preservers to retrieve the victim. Now, if your boat, however, the whole boat capsizes or sinks, you have to act fast. If there's time to send out a distress signal, that's what you got to do. You send out a distress signal to let people know that you are in trouble. Mayday, mayday. Now, many supply containers are meant to float. That's the good thing about it, and there are probably a ton of them, on the boat. And so gather as many together as possible, and they might be able to help you stay above water, and whatever supplies are in them might actually save your life. So if you don't have a raft and you only have, only have let's say, a life jacket, well, you need something to float on so that you're not expending a lot of energy. And so make sure you have containers on the boat that you know are going to float uh, if indeed the boat sinks. Now, unless land is in sight, it probably is a good idea to try not to go far away from where the last known position of your boat was. That's important because that's where all rescue efforts are going to begin. So the closer you are to where the ship sank, the more likely you're going to be found, right? It makes perfect sense. And this is especially useful if you sink in widely traveled areas or shipping lanes, things like that. Point is, you need to be where you can be found. Let's, you know that uh, a lot of people are conf get a little confused. They think that because they're in tropical waters down here in Miami, for example, and down in South Florida, 
that that they can't die from hypothermia, which is what you know, like what killed people on the Titanic. They died of hypothermia from being tossed in the water. Well, the truth of the matter is, you can die of hypothermia or loss of body heat uh, in very very warm water or or not as warm as your temperature your body temperature but certainly very warm water doesn't have to be particularly cold to cause hypothermia and any water that's cooler than normal body temperature will cause some heat loss you can die of hypothermia off a tropical coast that's what i'm trying to get at Uh, average survival times decrease as water temperature gets colder if the water temperature is let's say 60 to 70 degrees fahrenheit you can expect to live about 12 hours let's say if it's 50 to 60 degrees fahrenheit maybe about six hours 40 to 50 degrees Fahrenheit, probably about an hour. Lower than 40 degrees, wow, now less than an hour. And the thing is, is that the time that you're actually able to function, to use your muscles, to swim, otherwise function to help yourself, is really just a fraction of those times. So it's important to do everything you can to not wind up in the water. Let's say you do, though, and there's not much you can do about it. you gotta got to hit the drink. Well... To increase your chances of survival. The drink. Who, yes. Now, Hit the drink. You're, you're a history I'm a, buff. That's probably an Do old... Do you know the history of that? Of hitting the drink? the drink? the drink. I don't know. The water. Well, because you can drink water, and so I guess that's... A, <laughs> hit the drink. I'd like to hit a drink right now, I'll tell you that much. Oh, <laughs> you know, the, the strongest drink you have is a Coca-Cola, honey. No, don't try I to had a it. little eggnog with some rum I did lately. put a yes. splash. Actually, what a I did was I... I took the rum bottle and just waved it over the oh, eggnog. Oh, is that it? <laughs> That's yeah. all you can handle, honey. Wow. That's okay. <laughs> yeah, I'm not a big drinker. I like you being sober. I have no problem with it, my love. <laughs> well, let's talk a little bit about how to increase your chances of survival immersed in water. Oh, boy. Now, some people may feel a little... Uh, encumbered by having clothes on but the truth is you really need to keep your clothes and as a matter of fact not only keep your clothes you need to zip up if you possibly can you want to cover your head if you can too you lose a lot of heat from your head and why would you need to actually zip up your clothing or button your clothing uh in water and the reason why is because the layer of water between your clothing and your body Mm -hmm. is slightly warmer that, so that does make sense, like a, right. a small stream of water that your body heat right. has heated up. Now, I have a question about shoes. What do you do about your shoes? Because some folks have pretty heavy shoes on, like boots-type shoes. And I, you always see people kick their shoes off. I would think that the shoes would pull you down, but I guess it just depends on what you're wearing. Maybe that's what that why they made Dockers. Didn't yeah, Dockers make a boat shoes, shoe? Yeah, yeah or that was top, kind of waterproof. Top ciders, that's remember. it. Yeah. Maybe those don't get as waterlogged. That's right. Well, if they have, you Keep know, your socks on. <laughs> a lot of these things, a lot of the filling or the or the the heel material is uh-huh. that may actually float. So it's hard to say. That's true. I guess it really just depends it's... on what you're wearing. If you're wearing steel-toed boots, obviously <laughs> you got a problem. Or concrete, right? Yeah. There you Isn't go. Isn't that how the mom oh, used yeah, the to concrete, do? Yeah. Got to get those concrete Con- shoes concrete off. Concrete overshoes. Yes. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Well, let's see. So what you want to do is get as much of your body's surface area out of the water. That, and so that means that if you can climb onto a capsized boat 
I have an article that I just put up about about this subject that shows people that are clinging Hanging to the on, top right. of a boat that's upside down. Uh, grabbing any floating object is going to increase your chances of survival. As much of your body as you can get up out of the water, the better off you are. Now, the thing is, though, I don't want you to use up energy swimming unless you have a place to swim to. Okay, now the swimming strokes that use the least energy are the dog paddle, the side stroke, the backstroke, and the breaststroke. Interestingly enough, the dog notice paddle. That, notice That's that interesting. The normal swimming motion actually takes up more energy than these particular strokes. And what they do recommend is that you alternate them so that you're using different muscles and you wind up being able to function a little bit longer. You also need to position yourself to lessen heat loss. You, there is a position called the heat escape lessening position. Heat escape lessening position. That's HELP, H-E-L-P. And if you can do that, you can reduce heat loss while you wait for help to arrive. It's very simple. Just hold your knees up to your chest, cross your arms. And if you, with a flotation device, it should pr protect your torso from heat loss and still keep you floating. And if you have other people with you, you all should huddle together. Just sort of grab onto each other, keep warm by facing each other in a tight circle while holding on to each other for dear life. Now, of course, some people can get knocked off a boat without a life jacket. If you did not wear a life jacket, silly person, then, you know, <laughs> I guess maybe if you're on a cruise, you get knocked off a boat. If you do, by the way, don't expect to ever be found. Oh, Again, no, no. I know. So, I, we so several times a year. I don't, they think that people commit suicide on cruises. Yeah. But like a I, last hurrah and then you know, jump off. I don't know. That's horrible. Well, anyhow, if you end up in the water without a life jacket, a lot more exertion is going to be required to stay above water. And at one point or another, you're just going to get tired. If you float on your back, though, it requires less energy to keep your face out of the water so you can breathe. Arch your back, spread out your arms and legs, and that should allow you to breathe with at least the least effort that you absolutely have to expend. Another way to rest without a life jacket involves relaxing the body in between breaths. So basically you inhale while you're treading water with your feet. And then you go ahead and relax, lie face down. You, your face will be covered by the water with your arms forward. And you repeat that when you need another breath. And so you do that off and on and you'll be doing actually the least amount of treading water that's absolutely necessary. Right. Now, if you're lucky, you're going to be in a life raft. I think that would be great. Uh, Lieutenant George H.W. Bush was in a life raft. Although, uh, if you uh, the pic if you look at the picture of it, it was a little bitty I'm thing. I'm not sure you can actually deem that. What the heck that was, was that? more like a floaty. Yeah. <laughs> it was like... It was like barely one person size floating. Right. It's something you would tube, I don't know tube where, down the river. And, the question is, where did that even come from? Did that come out when his parachute yes, I came think, out? Did that yeah. fall yes. to into the water and yes. just automatically inflate? Yes. Because I know he had to swim to it. It wasn't with him. Yes. And I think that's exactly what happened. And may, maybe, and I don't know if it inflated on its own. Uh, I don't know if that happened back then. Or, no, it could have been one of his buddies too because there were a lot of people were there like eight or nine of them that ended up in the water that there were only two uh i other thought crewmen. he had i thought he had other crew members no there were only two others oh, there were they, only they, two both others. they both died yeah. oh, okay 
I don't know why I was under the impression there were like eight, a group of like eight or nine. In no, there. he was in a torpedo of a bomber. I think an Avenger was called, and uh, I think it had a three man crew. Okay, I might so have had a four, one might see, have had a four man. Crew. Again, I obviously have not read about this. I thought there was a group of planes that went down. Not just oh, there one. were, but he was the one that was shot down. I think. Oh, the other planes weren't shot down. I don't think any gotcha. other planes were shot down. Okay, mystery other, other than up. his. That, however, I will say that his unit had a 300% casualty rate, I which means that... I don't know how that percentage uh, is calculated. I don't know how they calculate that either, but I think basically, you know, the uh, people that were injured or killed were, were, were replaced, then injured and killed again, oh their replacements, gosh. and then again, again. You may have heard that they call this guy a wimp, but the truth of the matter is, is wow. To do anything like that, you do not soul. have to show me your courage in any other no. way. Well, anyhow, a good way to survive if you're going to be stranded in the ocean is to be in a life raft. And in a raft, you can use your skills to survive longer, maybe have a better chance of rescue. Usually these things are bright colored, so you should be able to see them uh, against the dark blue of the water. And the question that people have is, should you get away from the ship as soon as possible? If you've seen the movie Titanic, you probably remember the sinking ship sucking people down in life jackets and, and along with all sorts of other debris as the ship went under the surface. Now, using a small vessel, small boat, the cast of Mythbusters actually tested this out and actually could not reproduce this effect. But I think it may depend on the size of the ship. Basically, Oh, so nobody think, got sucked down. But but think about it this way. A large ship going down, uh-huh. it creates a void in the water. If I have a ship that's mostly in the water, there's a space that's occupied by the ship, right? right. Now, if the ship goes down under the water, then water rushes in. The water that was on around it rushes in to fill the void that was left by the ship. So I think that it may have something to do maybe with the size of the ship. So it's very possible it has something to do with that. So in any case, there's a lot of different reasons. Uh, If you have a a boat wreck that you may want to paddle away from the wreck. I mean, uh, let's say a fire could start on the boat and uh, if the wind is heading your direction, you can get burnt. So you may, in that case, if there's a fire, you want to paddle into the wind away from the wreck. And because then the fire would then be blowing, I guess, in the other direction. So if you, if you go into the wind. Now, so, and, and it's not just fire. It's burning oil it could be on the water. There could be toxic smoke that may be spreading downwind. So you want to go upwind if you right. possibly can. Not, not Maybe not easy to do, but it's something that you should do. Once the ship has gone to the deep and the Fire is no longer a risk. You should check the water for anything that might be useful. Anything that's not bolted down in the ship oftentimes will rise to the surface. You can snatch it up, and you can utilize what's in it, even as a flotation device. The good news is that the technology, or at least the engineering of modern life rafts, are a lot better than they were. And a lot of them do have survival kits built into them. A lot of them have paddles built into them. Some even have uh, beacons Yes, and rations. And Some of them have a little bit of rations there. Exactly. Yes, yeah, so they're they are a lot better these days than they were when poor uh, Lieutenant Bush wound up getting shot down. Now, if you're in a remote part of the ocean, the direction that birds fly 
may help you determine where the nearest land is. Oh. Seabirds will fly away from land. They'll fly towards the sea uh, in deeper areas where the bait fish are in the early morning. And in the evening, they'll have a tendency to fly towards land so they can bed down for the night. And so that's one way that you might be able to get an idea of where land might be. If there are birds, then oftentimes there is land not too far away, and you can figure out what direction it is by where they're flying, the direction they're flying in the evening. Uh, of course, water gets lighter as it gets shallower. I think everybody knows, notices that. And the waves decrease in size as well as the water gets shallower. Now, the direction of the wind actually can help you find land. Wind usually blows towards land in the day and away at night. That, so dry land absorbs heat from the sun faster than water, and so warm air over land rises and cool air over the water rushes in to replace it. At night, things change. Water cools more slowly than land, and the warmer air over the water rises, and the cool air from the land rushes away and goes out and into fills it up. Oh, that go. makes sense. That's right. Uh, if you're approaching land, try to find sandy stretches of beach. That's very important. Rocks and coral below the surface, well, they can tear the bottom of your raft or cause injury if you you get off out of the raft yourself. Paddle sideways and rip currents, and you should make some progress to shore. Now, if you're far from land, if you're not close to land, don't exert yourself. You need to protect your body in your raft. Conserve your resources. Limit your consumption. You, luckily, many modern rafts actually have a canopy, and that is very, very important to have if you, if you can have one. If you're in an open raft, you want to erect some kind of shelter from the, ele uh, from the elements uh, using anything that you possibly can. A tarp, part of a sail, even some spare clothing. And if it's hot, you can dampen your clothing with seawater to cool off, although this eventually causes skin irritation, honestly. If it's cold, put as much clothing on as you can, and usually anything that serves can serve as a windbreak would serve you very would serve you very well if you can avoid wind up wind, winding up being a victim of wind chill. The floor of your life raft is going to be a little cooler than the walls of the life raft, so don't sleep lying down. If if you're in cold weather, you'll lose more heat. If it's hot weather, however, the floor might actually help keep you cool, especially if you have cover. I want you to keep the inside of the raft as dry as you possibly can if you can do that. And a lot of them do come with tops now or, or actually are an enclosed thing. I have a picture of something called the uh, Portland Pudgy. And that is a uh, like a self-contained life raft. And you can just close yourself up in it and be protected from the elements. There are a lot of life rafts that are like that these days. Uh, a canopy for the life raft can also double as a rain catch by the way to collect fresh water that's going to be your biggest struggle right the, the first day in the raft if you can don't drink any water at all come up with a water rationing system for whatever you act, actually happen to have with you and you got to stick to it i mean the minimum amount of water necessary to stay in decent shape is a liter a day i mean that's a lot if you're not going to be able to get to water it's possible to survive on as little as two to five ounces a day, although this is going to weaken you over time, actually not over a very long time, actually a relatively short time for most people. 
regardless of may have, what you may have read, you cannot drink seawater. It dehydrates you due to the large amount of salt it contains. But you can get deep. Uh, you can have condensation from seawater. Okay, that is drinkable if you have a few supplies. And the supplies you need would be a pot, a smaller pot or other smaller container than the pot, some plastic wrapper sheeting, and one or two weights. You know, just a couple of rocks, a clam shell or something would do. Fill the larger pot with seawater and then put the smaller pot in the larger pot. You cover the whole thing with plastic and you put a weight over the center of the smaller pot. And what happens is the condensation from the sun is going to occur on the inside of the plastic sheet and because of the weight that you have in the middle, it's going to that condensation is going to accumulate and then drip, accumulate in the center and then drip into the smaller pot. And that water is water that you can drink from. They call this contraption a solar still, a solar still. So you save whatever food you have for at least the first day or two. You can go a long time without food, so ration that out slowly also so that it'll last. You might be able to catch some curious fish or maybe a sea turtle or a seabird. You're just going to have to eat that thing raw. Or you could actually use inedible parts as bait. Some people that have been lost at sea say they caught fish by wiggling dirty clothes in the water and scooping fish up with a fishing net. Well, you know, I haven't tried this. Apparently it works. That's something that you might consider. Using flashlights at night has a tendency to attract fish also. They're interested in the light. Now, this is something weird. I've heard that fish eyes contain fluid that you can ingest safely. Fish but eyes. Can you imagine pulling the eye, eyeballs out of a fish oh. and chewing on that just to get the fluid in the vitreous humor, as a, to use a medical term, inside the eye? In other words, inside the eye? Well, I would say if I am literally dying of thirst i probably would do that as much as i could i guess so you are thirsty 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 you probably do just about anything now can you eat seaweed and the answer interestingly enough is oftentimes yes many seaweeds seaweeds are actually part of the diet of people that inhabit the coasts around the world especially in places like japan for example Generally, green, brown, or red seaweeds can be washed and eaten raw, or you could dry them and eat them, uh, eat them dry. The, you want to avoid the parts that are round and filled with gas, like you uh, might see with kelp. Right, that's what helps them float. Exactly right, yeah. And if you're not sure, you could always touch the seaweed to your lips, wait for a while, and see if there's any ill effect. Be forewarned that seaweed tends to have a laxative effect take some getting oh, no. getting used to I would think is I think the nice way to put it. Uh, another useful item for your life raft of course is some kind of signaling device, a hand mirror may do it and uh, will reflect the sun can be seen from a passing plane, maybe a boat. Some newer rafts come with a beacon. We talked about that. And so there are a lot of things that you could do to give yourself time. Obviously, it's not a long-term solution you're not going to live long term in a life raft uh, or at least successfully but it's something that can be done i want to thank president george hw bush for being the inspiration for my talking about this today i thought that it was an amazing thing that he was 
able to do to survive for hours in the in the ocean and uh, glad that he I'm glad that he did oh one issue I haven't covered is the dangers that are posed to survivors in open waters due to sharks that's right sharks wow well they are indeed apex predators the top of the food pyramid of the marine world and you're not <laughs> they have a reputation for being these bloodthirsty killing machines. They're certainly efficient at their job, but this is, I think, really a distorted view. They are not unique in consuming anim- other animals or other, or, or other things, living things. I mean, we are uh, humans, and we eat all sorts of other living things. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> we prepare them so they don't look like living things, but we indeed do eat them, you know, cattle, pigs, chickens, fish, all that other stuff. So, I mean, that's just the pot calling the kettle black. Now, as predators, sharks limit the populations of the animals they eat. So they do good things. It maintains a balance of nature, but they do occasionally bite humans. Now, not all bites are feeding events, however. Sharks sometimes grab humans by mistake uh, or, or bump them or bite them to investigate. And unfortunately, those bites... Could be fatal, depending, I guess, on the size of the shark that we're talking about and what it actually bites. Other times, an attack may just be a response to invading its territory, much like a dog barks or might bite an intruder if it feels threatened. Now, the yearly average of unprovoked shark attacks in humans, probably about 80 from what I've read, and there are about six deaths or so a year. And these worldwide numbers are pretty small considering that all the people that actually enter the water, mm-hmm. uh, you, know, you have a better chance of dying, according to these statistics, from a, a bee sting, from a dog bite, from a snake bite, or from lightning than from a shark attack. But that doesn't mean you might not want to decrease the risk of being bitten by a shark even further. Of course, you could never go in the water. That would probably do it. But to the Short of doing that, to decrease your already small chance of becoming a victim of a shark bite, you should observe the following rules. One, you should always swim in a group. Sharks most often attack lone individuals. So that's one thing that is a good idea. Don't wander too far from shore. Doing so isolates you, makes you farther away from anybody else that might be able to help you. You want to avoid the water at the times that sharks are most active. And these times are nighttime dawn and dusk so that's when they're doing most of their hunting and they're going to be better able to find you than you are going to be able to find them Uh, don't enter the water if you're bleeding from anything sharks can smell and taste blood just a tiny little thing they have things called ampullae of lorenzini and those are right on their snout i guess you can call it and it allows them to actually figure out what's going on in front of them, even tiny amounts of blood and and trace it back to its source. I believe that they can sense blood from, I believe, a mile away. Yes, I've read that. Yeah, that that is amazing, isn't it? A very small amount from a mile away. I I don't know if you call that a smell. I mean, it's through the water, but I'll say sense it. (laughs) Taste it? I'm not sure (laughs) if it's a tasting thing, but... Somehow they know there's blood from very, very far away. It is amazing what these guys can do. I mean, they, they are truly uh, amazing animals. 
And, and, oh, also, uh, don't wear shiny yes, jewelry. Yes, they can't do math. They can't do math. <laughs> Neither can I. And no, they can't right? write Shakespeare. <laughs> that's, that's right. But they can eat Shakespeare. That's true. And they that, can eat your math book. Probably. That's true. That's true. That's right. uh, don't wear shiny jewelry. The reflected light looks like fish scales. Mm-hmm. So it makes you them think that you may actually be a fish or have a fish with you. Uh, don't go into waters that contain sewage. Sewage attracts bait fish, which in turn attracts sharks. You want to avoid waters that are being fished and those that have a lot of a lot of bait fishing uh, going on. Uh, diving seabirds are really good at indicators of such activities, so that's something to worry about. Don't enter the water if sharks are present. Always leave immediately if sharks are seen. And that is amazing to me because a lot of people actually go to tourist spots that allow you to feed sharks. Apparently. <laughs> I, stingrays, I've seen that. Sharks, you know, a- animals that could possibly have some dangerous component to them. And people actually will go and try to touch these things and try to feed them like they're you know, puppy dogs, and they are not. So just think twice and be sure you know what you're getting into if you're going to go swimming with the sharks uh, in the Bahamas or something like that. (laughs) Uh, They say that you should avoid having uh, tan lines, uh, uneven tans, brightly colored clothing. They uh, Sharks don't see, I don't think, color very well, but they see contrast pretty well. So use extra caution, you know, if you have a you know, major tan line, uh, if waters are cloudy, they will take a look at it and they will be drawn to that. Uh, you shouldn't splash a lot when you're swimming. Uh, of course, you want to keep your pets out of the water. They're always, they're always splashing. Ever seen a dog swimming around? Most of them aren't very graceful at it. So erratic movements can attract sharks. So that's something to know. And you should always use care if you are hanging out near a sandbar or any kind of steep drop-off into deeper water because these are favorite hangouts for sharks as well. Now, there may be porpoises nearby. If they are, that's wonderful or beautiful animals. But if seeing porpoises does not indicate the absence of sharks, and the truth of the matter is is that both oftentimes eat the same food, the same fish and things like that. So don't expect that they're going to form a circle around you and protect you from the sharks. Indeed, you have to be very, very aware that sharks could easily be right in the same area. Now, if you're attacked by a shark, the rule is do whatever the hell it takes to get away. Some people can be successful, being aggressive, yelling underwater, blowing bubbles, whacking uh, the shark in the snout. If they are actually bitten by the shark and the shark's holding on to them, you know, push your thumb in its eye. You know, these are things that they recommend that you consider. Now, provoked attacks are caused by humans touching sharks. So oftentimes it means when you're unhooking a shark. I remember our friend Jack Spirico caught a a couple of little sharks off the surf in the Sanibel Island. And, you know, those things have teeth, even though they're little. And so, you know, there's a risk when you unhook them that you can get bitten. Uh, If you remove them from a fishing net, same thing. Uh, Occasionally, there are a number of incidents involving divers who uh, 
are feeding sharks underwater and these tourist things they wind up getting bitten not a surprise to me at all now what if an attack is not provoked by touching a shark or something like that when the shark actually makes first contact that could be a hit and run thing that happens near beaches oftentimes shark may mistake the movement of humans in the water uh, for those of their normal food and in this case the shark usually makes a grab then lets go and immediately leaves the area and usually you wind up with a hopefully minor injury but indeed again it depends on whether a major artery has been severed or not there are sneak attacks in deeper waters, so if you're in deep waters, you have to be, especially if you're on the surface, sharp comes from below, and it's just like those Shark Week videos of sharks eating seals, you know, the victim just doesn't see the shark before the attack, and the result can be tragic, certainly tragic for the seals. Um, then there are bump and bite attacks. Attacks occur when a shark circles and actually bumps the victim with its head or body without uh, biting it yet, or they do an investig investigatory bite, and that one, it's not a good thing either. You can certainly cause serious injury or death. Now, the thing that you should know about sharks is that they rarely kill humans, but humans kill them a lot. 20 to 30 million sharks per year, they think, through commercial and sport fishing. So you just have to realize that these are nearly invincible animals in the sea but they're very vulnerable to a baited hook easily caught not even much of a fight unless you have a mako shark or a couple of others that are actually sport fishing sharks but for the most part you have to realize the sharks are overfished and many species are seriously threatened that is all the time we have for this week i hope you enjoyed this interesting little departure from our usual show and you'll listen in every week to the survival medicine hour with joe and amy alton thanks again you've been listening to the doom and bloom hour with medical preparedness experts dr bones and nurse amy check out our website at www.doomandbloom.net for hundreds of informative articles about survival medicine gardening natural remedies medical supplies and lots of other good stuff Contact us, send your email to drbonespodcast at aol.com or use the contact form on the main page of the website. See you next week.